The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. The following program is intended for mature audiences and may contain strong language, adult themes, and content of a violent and sexual nature which may not be appropriate for everyone. Welcome, listener, to the horror hell. If it's the darkness you seek, you won't be disappointed. I'm your host, Jason Hill, and it's time for our appointment. In this place, there is no sun, and nightmares do come true. Here, instead of shadow falling, the shadows follow you. Consider getting comfortable before the air grows colder. Prepare yourself if you dare. Come, inch a little closer. If darkness is what you're after, seek no more your searches through. You haven't found the darkness, traveler. The darkness has found you. It may come as no surprise that Halloween has, on occasion, come early to the haunted heights of the Horror Hill. So join me, if you will, in an October state of mind for two stories this evening concerning treacherous tricks and terrifying treats. Our first, a morality tale of crime punishment, and sickly sweet revenge. From author Adam Howe, I give you... Clean up on aisle three. Donnie sat in his beat-to-shit pinto with the heater on full, huddling for warmth beneath the driver's side window that wouldn't quite shut. An icy wind whipped through the half-inch gap, numbing his hands as he checked the 38 special. He shoved the piece in his coat pocket and then started across the street at the mini-mart, the neon quick-stop sign flashing red and blue in the night. It was the only store on the downtown strip still open this late. All the other stores had their shutters lowered, tagged with graffiti like tribal markings. Through the window, he saw the scrawny Arab storekeeper perched behind the counter, reading a magazine. Donnie hadn't seen any customers since he'd pulled up outside. The guy was in there alone. Just him and the cash register. Checking his reflection in the rear view, Donnie gave a pained sigh. He looked and felt like stepped on shit, sick with whatever bug was going around. 
Last thing he needed was to be pulling a job. But he was already late on this week's vig. He didn't pay what he owed, and the flu would be the last of his problems. He reached across the car to pop the glove compartment and fish out his lucky ski mask. Black wool, trimmed with red around the eyes and mouth. Dusting off the mask, he yanked it down over his head and then rolled it back up in a beanie hat. Donnie honked his nose into a snot rag, stuffed the hanky in his pocket with a piece, pumped himself up with a few wheezy breaths, and then he clambered from the pinto and started crossing the street to the quick stop. The bell above the door tinkled as he entered. The cramped little store was divided into three narrow aisles, the shelves stockpiled like a doomsday prepper's bunker. Loud ethnic music was playing, trumpets and drums and off-key warbling like a cat being castrated. The storekeeper glanced up from his magazine. Leathery olive skin and a gray goatee beard, his bald pate polished to a gleaming shine. He wore a white collarless shirt and a ratty old cardigan. The guy reminded Donnie of the limey actor who went blackface to play Gandhi. On the counter beside him, a no checks, no credit sign was taped to the back of the register. Donnie cut a glance at the security camera above the cigarette rack. The very latest model from the 1990s. If the damn thing even worked, the playback would be a blizzard of static. It was probably just for show. Scare off. Amateurs. Not taking any chances, Donnie bowed his head and shielded his mug from the camera's gaze as he sloped to the beer cooler opposite the counter. At the front of the store was a discount DVD bin and a half-price arsenal of fireworks for New Year's, the boxes all stacked in a pyramid like one giant rocket. Donnie glanced down the three aisles for customers or other employees. He didn't see anyone. Just a lonely-looking mop and a bucket in aisle two. The storekeeper was clearly no neat freak. The shelves were dusty, the goods caked in grime. The place certainly could have used a good airing. It reeked worse than Donnie's flea-pit apartment. At the back of the store was the liquor display... A few ragged cobwebs clinging to the bottles, and a steel door marked, Staff Only. Donnie couldn't hear anything behind the door, but it was hard to tell over the blaring music. Maybe the storekeeper lived back there with his wife and their litter of kids. <sighs> the hell with it. He'd be gone before anyone knew it. With his back to the storekeeper, Donnie tugged his lucky ski mask down over his face, and then reeled towards the counter, whipping the thirty-eight from his pocket... Okay, asshole, he shouted above the music. You know what this is. The storekeeper glanced up from his magazine as if Donnie had only asked him to price check an item. Seeing the revolver in Donnie's fist, the man's dark eyes narrowed. He rose slowly from his stool, raising his hands. Unlike Donnie's, they were steady as a rock. The guy looked so calm. Donnie wondered if he even spoke English. Then he said with a heavy accent, Oh yes, my friend, I know what this is. Just open the register and give me the money and you won't get hurt. Lowering one hand, he reached slowly towards the cash register and pressed a button. And suddenly he wasn't there. Donnie blinked in surprise. 
the fucking guy just disappeared. Peering over the counter, Donnie saw the trap door. The door still swinging where the shopkeeper had dropped down into the basement onto a mattress. Splayed on his back, the man glared up at Donnie with a hateful grin. Then, he slashed a finger across his throat before rolling off the mattress and out of sight. The fuck? Donnie muttered. And then steel shutters crashed down over the front door and window. The power went out, the store went black, and the music and even the hum of the refrigerators shut off, entombing the place in sudden silence. It took a moment for Donnie's eyes to adjust to the gloom. He rolled his ski mask back up into a beanie, stood gaping at the shutters in disbelief. He'd never seen shutters inside a store before. He banged his fist against the shutters, thick steel, like the treads of a tank. Donnie lashed out with his boot until his knee buckled and hobbled back in pain. Feeling his skin crawl, he glanced up at the winking red eye of the security camera above the cigarette rack, shuddering as he pictured the storekeeper silently watching him. He scurried behind the counter, ignoring the register, the cash now forgotten. Careful not to fall through the open trap, Donnie searched beneath the counter for a button or something to raise the shutters. What the hell had the storekeeper pressed to drop the trap door? Donnie couldn't even find a panic button. And now that he thought of it, why wasn't any alarm sounding? Crouching warily above the open trap, he peered down into the dingy basement. All he could see was the mattress where the storekeeper had landed. Hey! Donnie shouted down, panic in his voice. Open these fucking shutters! He could hear the storekeeper cursing in Arabic, like a camel clearing phlegm from its throat. The guy sounded genuinely pissed, like this wasn't the first time his store had been held up, but by Allah, it would be the last. Then came the unmistakable shuck-shuck of a pump shotgun being racked. Donnie darted back from the open trap. That's why there wasn't any alarm. The guy planned to take care of business himself. Donnie looked despairingly at his 38. He never worked with a loaded gun. If the threat of being shot wasn't enough, then the chop wasn't worth it. Better to walk away, find some other place to stick up. Ideally, with an owner who had enough sense to do what they were told when he stuck a gun in their face. Until now, he'd thought he was being smart. Shoving the useless fucking gun back in his coat, Donnie scuttled down the aisle towards the staff-only door at the back of the store. It was locked. He was screwed. He'd have to take his licks and beg the storekeeper not to kill him. He was almost at the door when he heard the jangle of keys on the other side. Donnie dove into aisle one and crouched low behind the shelves, cloaking himself in the shadows as the door clattered open. The storekeeper emerged from the back room, clutching a shotgun that was near bigger than he was. He paused to yank the door shut behind him, locking it from a key hoop clipped to his belt. There was something funny looking about him. In the gloom, it was hard to tell exactly what. Then the storekeeper turned his head, and Donnie thought he'd lost his mind. A giant frog was sweeping the shotgun left to right across the aisles. Donnie tried to blink away the nightmare, 
Then he realized the storekeeper was wearing some kind of mask. No. No, not a mask. Night vision goggles. The lenses protruding from his head like bulbous amphibian eyes. Tiny jewels of sweat glittered on the Arab's scalp. He began to sidestep slowly along the end of the aisles, his cheap leather shoes squeaking as he crabbed along, the shotgun steady in his hands as he moved methodically toward aisle one, towards Donnie, crouching in the shadows. Panicking, Donnie snatched a jar of coffee from the shelf in front of him and then lobbed it over the aisles like a grenade. The sound of shattering glass as it exploded on the far side of the store. The storekeeper pivoted with a squeal of his squeaky shoes. The shotgun roared, the blast punching a hole through the aisles and scattering stock, the deafening noise drowning out Donnie's scream. This guy was not fucking around. He wasn't going to rough him up or make a citizen's arrest. Donnie wasn't talking his way out of this shit. There'd be no hesitation as the storekeeper turned and fired. The blast was intended to cut him in half. The man meant to kill him. This should have been a quick dollar stick-up. Donnie wasn't going to play cat and mouse with a shotgun-toting lunatic. Let the cops deal with the crazy bastard. He'd take the arrest if it meant he left the quick stop alive. He dug in his coat for his cell phone. No single bars on the display. He waved the phone about frantically, searching for a signal. Had the shutters caused some kind of blackout? He raised the phone towards the ceiling. A single signal bar flickered weakly. He listened out for the storekeeper. On the far side of the store, he heard Arabic cursing as the man found the shattered coffee jar and realized he'd been duped. The storekeeper racked the shotgun and started back along the aisles, his shoes squeaking urgently. Donnie monkeyed up the shelves in front of him. The flimsy wooden shelving board sagged beneath his weight. His ears were still ringing from the shotgun blast. He could only hope that the storekeeper had also been deafened, that the guy didn't hear him as Donnie slid on top of the shelving unit, disturbing a thick layer of dust that swirled around him in a cloud that prickled his fluey nose. The storekeeper sprang into the aisle directly below him. When he saw the aisle was empty, the Arab muttered a curse, lowering the shotgun, and then adjusted the sweaty strap of his night goggles. He was breathing hard, maybe even excited, enjoying the thrill of the hunt. He started stalking down the aisle toward the front of the store. Flattened on top of the shelving unit, Donnie didn't dare move, holding his breath and fighting an almost overwhelming urge to sneeze. From the corner of his eye, he watched as the storekeeper crept along the aisle below him. The man left his line of sight, but Donnie was still able to track him by his squeaky shoes. He checked his cell phone again, and gave a silent prayer of thanks when he saw there were now two signal bars on the display. But before he could dial 911, he inhaled another thick cloud of dust that set his nose ablaze. The sneeze echoed through the store like a karate cry. The Arab turned and fired without hesitation, the shotgun belching fire. Donnie sprang from the shelving unit, shredded cereal boxes exploding behind him, a shower of Kellogg's raining over the store. Slamming into the next shelving unit, he crashed down into aisle two, landing heavily on his back next to the mop bucket, his cell phone shattering on the floor beside him. 
The storekeeper racked his shotgun and charged up the aisle towards him. Woofing for breath, Donnie can only flail his legs, kicking over the mop bucket. Sludgy gray water spewed across the floor. The storekeeper slid on the muck like an Arabic Chevy chase. He thudded to the floor and fired another deafening blast, plaster raining down from the ceiling. Before the man could recover, Donnie scrambled to the nearest shelving unit. He slithered across the bottom shelf, clawing through a crinkling wall of potato chip bags and emerging into aisle three. Bracing himself against a deep-freeze refrigerator chest, he hauled himself up onto rubbery legs, sucking for breath. Through gaps in the shelves, he could see the storekeeper in the center of the aisle, wobbling his feet like a prizefighter trying to beat the ref's count. Racking the shotgun with a grunt, the Arab began limping around the aisle after Donnie, careful not to slip on the slick floor, one hand clutching at the shelves for balance. Donnie was still slumped against the deep freeze, trying to catch his breath. The small of his back was screaming with pain where he'd landed on it. His legs could barely support him, let alone carry him away. Before the storekeeper rounded the aisles and spotted him, Donnie hauled up the lid of the deep freeze. Hardly thinking about what he was doing, he slid inside the chest and buried himself among the frozen food packages. As he cowered inside the icy coffin, peering up in terror through the frosted glass, listening to the storekeeper's shoes squeak closer, it occurred to Donnie that as far as dumb fucking ideas went, well, this was right up there alongside robbing a store with an unloaded gun. The storekeeper paused next to the deep freeze, wheezing for breath. He steadied himself against the refrigerator chest. Donnie stifled a scream as a hand thudded down on the glass lid. For a moment, it seemed like the man was staring right down at him. Then, he dragged his hand from the glass to wipe the sweat off his forehead. Frowning, the Arab glanced back down the aisle, maybe fearing his prey had circled behind him. Then, he moved on to the back of the store... Donnie waited until he heard the distant jangle of keys as the storekeeper checked whether the staff-only door was locked. Then, he palmed up the glass door of the deep freeze and eased himself out, crouching down beside the refrigerator and listening intently. It sounded like the guy was doing another lap of the store. This time, Donnie would be waiting for the crazy fuck. He scuttled to the liquor display at the back of the store. Forced to squint in the gloom, Donnie scanned the shelves for firewater, saw a picture of Speedy Gonzalez on a dusty label, and grabbed a bottle of Ariba 100-proof tequila. Nodding to himself, he crouched behind the aisle 2 end shelf, and then peeked around the corner, waiting for the storekeeper to appear at the front of the store. He unscrewed the bottle cap, wincing at the screech of twisted metal but the storekeeper didn't seem to hear. Donnie listened to the guy's shoes squeaking as he continued to patrol the store. Donnie necked a big swig from the bottle. For what he needed to do, and for courage. He shuddered as the tequila burned through him. Snatching his snot rag from his pocket, he began stuffing it into the bottleneck until only a cloth tongue poked down. Then, he pulled his Zippo lighter from his pocket and thumbed the wheel. The storekeeper's shoes stopped in mid-squeak. The Zippo shook in Donnie's hand as he torched the snot-rag fuse, 
The shotgun roared. A tower of Heinz cans exploded on the shelf above Donnie's head. Spaghetti sauce sprayed down over him, nearly snuffing out the flame. The storekeeper reloaded, feeding shells into the shotgun like a degenerate gambler playing the slots. Donnie mopped the spaghetti sauce from his eyes and then leapt out from cover. They faced each other like Old West gunfighters. A tin of beans rolled like tumbleweed across the aisle between them. The storekeeper saw the Molotov cocktail in Donnie's hands. His mouth dropped open in shock. He started raising the shotgun. Donnie hail-married the burning bottle, and then he watched in horror as it sailed harmlessly over the shopkeeper's head. The bottle shattered against the steel shutters behind him and burst into flames. The storekeeper stood silhouetted before a wall of fire, like a frog-headed demon from hell. Oblivious to the danger behind him, the storekeeper sneered at Donnie as he aimed the shotgun, his finger teasing the trigger as flames started licking the fireworks display. There was a blinding white flash and then the fireworks boomed like Hiroshima. Instantly, the storekeeper became a human fireball, the blast blowing him off his feet and hurling him up the aisles like a missile. He sailed straight past Donnie and crashed into the staff-only door, thudding to the floor like a piece of barbecue you tossed to the dog. The front of the store was now an inferno. Rockets ignited and screeched from the flames, setting shelves ablaze, the sound deafening inside the steel-shuttered store. The place was fast becoming a death trap. Donnie crouched beside the charred storekeeper. He took off his coat and smothered the flames of the man's burning cardigan. Wrestling the key hoop from his belt, Donnie juggled the red-hot keys, yelping as they scorched his palms. Wrapping his coat around his hand like an oven glove, he unlocked the staff-only door to reveal another locked door marked Delivery and Stairs, leading down to the basement. Donnie knelt in front of the second door and sorted through a jumble of keys, trying to find the key that would fit the lock. Something squeaked behind him. Glancing over his shoulder... He saw the storekeeper staggering to his feet. His face was flame-grilled hamburger. The night goggles were melted onto his head like devil horns. He propped himself up in the doorway, smoke coiling from the scorched rags of his cardigan. Before Donnie could stand, the Arab lunged at him, slamming the shotgun across his throat, pinning him back against the door. The fire had fused the shotgun to his hands. The melted flesh of his fingers was webbed across the stock as he crushed Donnie's larynx. Choking, Donnie grappled the shotgun and shoved the guy back. They stumbled across the landing, tumbling down the stone steps and thudding onto the concrete floor of the basement. Landing on top of Donnie, the storekeeper jammed the shotgun back across his throat and pressed down with all his weight. Donnie spluttered and bucked, the key hoop in his hand jangling wildly as he flailed at the man's face before he slammed a long mortise key through the left lens of the Arab's night goggles, driving it deep into the eye socket. He then wrenched the key in the man's eyeball like he was forcing open a rusty lock. The storekeeper gave a hog-like squeal, his head jerked back, the keys dangling from his face like bloody jewelry. Yoki yellow gunk gushed from the shattered lens of his goggles, spraying across Donnie's face. Gagging, Donnie hammered the heel of his hand against the key, burying it deeper in the Arab's eye. The storekeeper shrieked, 
lurching to his feet and staggering blindly about the basement. Donnie scrabbled back across the floor, spitting eyeball fluid and heaving for breath. The Arab crashed across the stocking shelf, cans and jars clattering and smashing on the floor around him. He reached up to remove the keys from his eye before realizing he couldn't, not with a shotgun welded to his hands. His arms twitched pathetically, once, twice, and then all the fight seemed to drain right out of him. His body sagged, and he slumped down on a camp bed parked against the cinder block wall, the springs squealing like his squeaky shoes. Huddled on the bed, the man glowered at Donnie with his one good eye, the other a ruined hollow of red and yellow slime. He slowly raised his left knee. Donnie watched in disbelief as the man planted the sole of his shoe against the length of the shotgun and sucked a few shallow breaths before he flexed his leg and the melted flesh of his palms ripped free from the stock with a sound like Velcro tearing. The shotgun clattered to the floor in front of him, but he was too weak to reach for it. With raw and bloody hands, the Arab grasped the hoop of keys dangling from his face. Donnie covered his mouth with his hand, nearly begged the guy to stop. But he could not look away. The Arab yanked on the key hoop. The key ripped from his eye socket with a wet popping sound. He gave a yelp and fainted dead away, flopping back on the camp bed with the keys clutched tightly in his fist. Donnie almost fainted himself. His head was spinning as he staggered to his feet. He peeled off his ski mask and covered his nose and mouth to keep from choking on the thick black smoke belching down out of the basement through the open trapdoor above. Fiery ash rained down onto the mattress. It wouldn't be long before the fire spread downstairs. Already the basement was baking like a pizza oven. He took a wary step towards the storekeeper, eyeing the keys clutched in the man's fist. It looked like the guy was out for the count. All it took was getting burned half to death, blasted into a wall, thrown down a staircase, and stamped with the eye. But Donnie wasn't about to take any chances. This guy was like the fucking Terminator, after all. He kicked the shotgun beyond the Arab's reach. It skidded across the floor and clanged against the legs of the workbench. Donnie paused when he noticed some kind of photo shrine on the wall above the workbench. The clusters of photos showed a young woman. The storekeeper's wife, Donnie figured. She was beautiful. Apparently, even in a burning building, Donnie could still appreciate a piece of ass. And very pregnant. Beneath the shrine stood a chunky security monitor, but it wasn't showing the store going up in flames. Instead, it was hooked to an old VCR player running a short loop of silent film. The grainy black-and-white footage was time-coded in the bottom corner, dated six years ago. It showed the storekeeper's pregnant wife as she stood in terror behind the shop counter. She was opening the cash register for a jittery punk wearing a stocking mask that matched his features. He was clutching a pistol in a sideways gangster grip. The cash drawer slid open. The punk's pistol spat fire. The back of the woman's long hair flailed as her brain splattered the cigarette rack. Bloody cartons of smokes rained from the rack in a waterfall. The woman crumpled to the floor. Leaning over the counter 
The punk raided the cash register, pocketing bills as he fled the store. The footage looped and played again and again. Donnie looked at the cushioned chair parked in front of the monitor, the cushion cratered by the weight of the husband and the weight of the grief pressing down on him. How long had the storekeeper sat here? Hour after hour? Day after day? Watching again and again as his pregnant wife was gunned down by a two-bit stick-up man. A piece of shit just like Donnie. Before the footage could loop and play again, Donnie switched off the monitor. He saw his reflection in the blank TV screen and was about to look away in shame, sickened at the sight of himself. And then something in the screen's reflection caught his eye. A sudden movement behind him. He wheeled around in time to see the storekeeper swinging a fire extinguisher by the hose like a mace and chain. The metal butt of the fire extinguisher scythed across his jaw, smashing teeth and bone, and Donnie dropped like he'd been shot. Like the storekeeper's wife. Out cold before he hit the deck. When he came to, Donnie found himself face down on the cracked concrete floor. His ankles and wrists were bound tightly with duct tape, hog-tied behind him. He raised his throbbing head weakly off the floor. A rope of congealed blood drooled from his mouth, puddling like black treacle on the concrete. His vision blurred in and out of focus, but he could see he was still in the basement. The room was fogged with smoke that was starting to clear. The fire upstairs had been extinguished. The storekeeper must have doused the flames while Donnie was unconscious. Donnie listened intently for the wail of EMS sirens outside. Surely someone must have reported World War III breaking out on the quick stop. But all he could hear was the sound of someone digging. A section of the basement's concrete floor had been broken, probably by the sledgehammer propped against the wall. A slab of stone levered up to reveal the dirt below. The storekeeper was using a shovel to dig a hole in the plot of earth, piling up the dirt beside a steel drum with a skull and crossbone symbol and a label marked lie. The Arab's wounded hands were swathed in bandages. He grimaced in pain as he worked the shovel. Whenever the pain seemed too much to bear, he would glance at the security monitor on the workbench, watching the footage of his dying wife again and summon the strength to continue digging. When he was done, he climbed from the hole and loomed over Donnie. Donnie tried to beg, but his shattered jaw and blood-clogged mouth allowed only a pitiful choked whimper. The Arab planted a foot on him, his shoes giving the last squeak Donnie would ever hear as he kicked him into the grave. Donnie landed on his back, his bound arms and legs twisted painfully beneath him with the impact. He watched in helpless terror as the storekeeper began shoveling the dirt over him. The last thing he saw was what looked like another shrine on the wall directly above him. But no photos this time. Donnie actually thought this one looked less like a shrine than a trophy wall. Nailed to the cinder blocks was a stocking mask, a bandana, 
and three ski masks. One of them black wool, with red trim around the eyes and mouth, and not so lucky after all. Crime, after all, doesn't pay. Especially on the Horror Hill. Our second story tonight, an ode to the protective powers of sacred squash, and a Samhain tradition best not taken lightly. From author Kevin David Anderson, I give you Pumpkin Seeds Halloween jack-o'-lanterns decorated the Linden's front porch. Their soft glow illuminated Mark Linden's dazed expression. Sheriff Kincaid tried to appear positive as he put a gentle hand on Mark's shoulder. Having no family of his own, Kincaid could only imagine what Mark was going through. Is there... anyone we can call? There... anyone we can call? Kincaid hunkered down a bit so his thick six-foot frame didn't tower over Mark as much. Mark's eyes were shut, and Kincaid waited patiently for him to speak. He knew Mark was an educated man, the kind that had been keeping up with current events. Mark would know that his wife wasn't dead. Not yet. The Daily Gazette article had been very detailed, more so than Kincaid had liked, about the M.O. of the Riverdale Snatcher... Mark's eyes opened. How long do we have? Till she's found. The time between abduction and the discovery of the bodies, ritualistically pinned up, like a frog on a dissection slab, varied from two to five days. Away from the press, the FBI had shared with Kincaid that it really depended on how much gratification the Snatcher was deriving from the current victim. We're going to find her, Kincaid said. I just took the kids out trick-or-treating. We were only gone a half hour. I can't believe... Oh, oh God. Oh, Karen. Mark sobbed into both hands. We'll find her. Kincaid tried to remember what church the Lindens attended. It wasn't St. Andrew's because that's where he went. Do you go to First Community? Mark nodded, his hand still covering his face. Would you like me to call Pastor Johansson? I'm sure he can... From the corner of his eye, Kincaid saw one of the deputies waving at him from the sidewalk. Um, excuse me for a minute, Mark. Kincaid started down the porch steps. By the time his foot hit the grass, he was angry. Whatever reason Deputy Simon had for interrupting, Kincaid knew it would be either trivial or just plain stupid. Most of Kincaid's deputies were kids, fresh out of high school, and not one of them had enough confidence to handle anything on their own. To a veteran like Kincaid, a man with 15 years as a city cop and two tours of duty in the Marines... It was infuriating. Kincaid met the deputy in the middle of the lawn. 
What the hell is so goddamn important you need to interrupt me every ten seconds, Simon? Looking down, Simon seemed to be searching for words in the vicinity of his shoelaces. Y you know, he had told me to take pictures of the crime scene? Kincaid was hoping to get some shots before the FBI showed up and shut him out again. Yeah. Did you forget the camera? No. No, sir, I brought it, the deputy said. Batteries are dead, though. <laughs> Been meaning to swing by the Walgreens for some new ones. Kincaid shook his head. The day he first laid eyes on Simon's resume, he saw no bullet points that listed idiot or first-class moron as his characteristics. Why did I hire this guy? I have a camera in my trunk, so never mind that. Here's what I want you to do, Kincaid said. Simon nodded, taking out a notepad. Take Mark inside to be with his kids. Then, call Pastor Johansson. Tell him what happened and ask him to come over. Then, call Karen Linden's sister. Think she's in Idlewood or something. I'm sure Mark would want her here. Times like this, a man needs the support of the Lord and his family. Did you get that, deputy? Or were the words I used too large? Simon stopped writing and then started reading aloud. Um, take Mr. Linden inside, call Pastor Johansson and sister in Idlewood. Got it. The deputy slapped his notebook shut and marched off toward the house. Kincaid felt an eye roll coming on, but he stopped it, sighed instead, and then headed to the street. His squad car, parked at the curb, had a disposable camera in the glove box, but he was hoping that he left his digital in the back compartment. When he reached the rear of the car, he paused a moment, remembering the huge mess he left in the trunk. To find his camera, he was going to have to dig. Glancing back at the porch, Kincaid wanted to make sure Simon was following instructions. The orders seemed simple enough, but that had never stopped Simon from screwing them up before. Simon escorted Mark into the house. He shut the door, leaving the porch vacant, save for three jack-o'-lanterns, eyes glowing orange. Their devilishly carved eyes cast an almost knowing stare at Kincaid. A chill crept over his neck, and he slapped it away. He never liked jack-o'-lanterns. Damn things just gave him the willies. He popped the trunk and peered inside. Yep, it was full-on mess. Jesus, the camera is probably all the way at the bottom. He reached in and lifted Karen Linden's bound feet off the spare tire and then tried to roll her further back. She still appeared to be unconscious from the blow he delivered to the back of her head. No sign of the camera, though. Damn. When Kincaid grabbed a fistful of her hair to lift her head, her eyes popped open. She tried to scream through her gag, a sock shoved so far down her throat, only the torn fringes of the toe section dangled outside her bleeding lips. Kincaid leaned in, putting his face inches from hers. Don't even think about it. Make one sound, and I'll pull that tongue right out of your pretty little head. Karen Linden blinked and sunk back into the trunk. That's better, Kincaid said. Besides, there will be plenty of time for screaming later. He released her hair and slammed the trunk closed. He glanced back at the Linden's porch, 
prepared to meet the watchful leer of glowing jack-o'-lanterns. But there were two more sets of eyes staring back at him than he'd prepared himself for. Mark and Deputy Simon stood on the porch, looking astonished. Kincaid shook his head. Oh, Simon, you're such a screw-up. The instructions were so simple. Take Mark inside. Call Johansson. Call the sister. What the hell were they doing on the porch? The deputy went for his gun, but had trouble releasing the holster strap. King Cade knew that hiring deputies that made Barney Fife look competent would prove beneficial at some point. He cocked his head and swiftly pulled his revolver, leveling it at the deputy. Before Simon could get his weapon free, Kincaid fired. The deputy was hit square in the chest and fell back against the house. As he slid down the wall, he finally managed to unholster his pistol. The gun fell into his lap when his butt hit the porch. Kincaid turned the revolver on Mark. The frightened man dove out of the way. Kincaid fired twice, trying to hit Mark in the air, but his shot shattered the living room window instead. Mark landed out of sight, toppling a few uncarved pumpkins off the porch banister. Screams came from the inside of the house. The kids, Kincaid thought. Jesus, I am in no mood to kill kids. Neighborhood dogs started barking. Porch lights came on, and behind him, across the street, a screen door squeaked open. Damn! He lowered his weapon. Time to move on. Well... This town was about tapped out anyways. King Cade stepped around to the driver's side of his squad car and reached for the door handle. A speeding glint of orange reflected in the car window. When he turned, the pumpkin hit him in the face. The blow knocked him back against the car. His head cracked against the lights on the roof. He slid down onto the grass, wiping pumpkin guts from his eyes. The juices stung. Pumpkin seeds slid down his cheeks like unwanted tears. His fingers grazed his nose, and he winced in pain. It was probably broken. Kincaid should have been angry, but he wasn't. Mark was now fumbling around Simon's body. Nice throw, big guy. Kincaid searched for his gun and the pumpkin innards on the ground. His piece had fallen into the gutter, hammer still cocked. He clasped it as Mark came down the steps holding something out in front of him. Kincaid's eyes focused with a suddenness that made him blink. He brought his revolver up. Mark had Simon's gun and was rushing across the lawn, pointing the weapon and frantically searching for the safety. Kincaid chuckled. That's the spirit. Fight for it. Kincaid took aim and pulled the trigger. But nothing happened. He pulled again. Nothing. He examined the revolver and couldn't believe his eyes. Pumpkin seeds, wedged in like a doorstop, were keeping the hammer from falling. He pushed the seeds out with his thumb, then brought the revolver up again fast. A pistol shot boomed and flashed before his eyes. The first shot hit his chest like a baseball bat to the ribs. The second and third pierced his gut with the burning intensity of branding irons. When the shots ended, Mark stood in front of him, silhouetted in the porch light. He was still pointing Simon's pistol at Kincaid's chest and, shaking like a child, kept pulling the trigger. Click, click, click. 
Good job, cowboy, Kincaid said, choking up blood. He brought his hand to his face. Pumpkin juice dripped down his fingers, mixing with splatters of crimson. Kincaid convulsed and pulled in a last shallow breath as he glanced up at the Linden's porch. Maybe he was hallucinating, but he swore that the jack-o'-lanterns were grinning at him. Twisted grins, glowing with malevolence. Then, just before it all went black, Kincaid remembered that he had never actually seen Mark throw that pumpkin. Thank you for joining me tonight at the Horror Hill. Clean Up on Aisle 3 was written by Adam Howe. Other titles by Adam Howe include Die Dog or Eat the Hatchet, Tijuana Donkey Showdown, Black Cat Mojo, and WrestleManiacs, an anthology of dark wrestling fiction featuring a murderer's row of today's best indie writers. Pumpkin Seeds was written by Kevin David Anderson. Many of Kevin David Anderson's short stories have appeared in podcasts like Pseudopod, The Drabblecast, and The Doomstief. Anderson's novel, Night of the Living Trekkies, from Quirk Books, earned positive reviews in the L.A. Times, The Washington Post, Fangoria, and received a starred review in Publishers Weekly. Anderson is an active member of the HWA, Horror Writers Association, with a B.A. in Mass Communication and 15 years of award-winning marketing experience. For more on him, go to www.kevindavidanderson.com. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Horror Hill, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights, and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com today to learn more about our network and our other amazing storytelling programs. Tonight's program was hosted, and its featured stories performed by, yours truly, Jason Hill. Additional performers have been featured when necessary to bring the tales to life. Selected stories have been adapted with the kind permission of their respected authors. Sound design, original music, and final mixing and mastering provided by Luke Hodgkinson under the guidance of executive producer and director Craig Groshek. The program's artwork and logo by Jason Hill. Got a scary tale of your own that you'd like performed? I take submissions. Email it to me today at horrorhill at simplyscarypodcast.com to have your terrifying tome considered for production in a future episode of the show. If you enjoyed what you heard on tonight's program and are joining us on your favorite podcast app, subscribe to us to be sure that you never miss an episode. And please, leave us a five-star review and a comment. Your feedback means a lot to me. You can also follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and Horror Hill on Facebook to connect anytime and get the latest updates. 
If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Thursday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button too to tell us how we're doing. Oh, and if you could, please leave a kind word or even a request. If you can never get enough spooky stories and can't wait until next week for more, and haven't already, be sure to check out Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on YouTube for more than 500 free audio horror stories, including more performance from yours truly, and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Thursday with more frightening fiction to haunt your dreams. Until next time, this is Jason Hill. Good evening.